morning, everybody. Um, just for a few moments, um, we're going to um, just teach a new song that is going to um, become part of our worship this morning. Um, so the verse will come up, we'll sing it, and then we'll sing it again with, with yourselves. So um, we just thought we'd teach it a little bit before it suddenly surprised you in the middle of the service. So um, hopefully the word should appear on the, on the wall. <laughs> No, we're going to sing the first verse, and that's it. We'll stop. Yeah, this first. Yeah. Okay. What a friend we have in Jesus.
please take a seat. So I'll say good morning again. I'm Mel, and I'm leading our worship um, this morning. And then later on, we have Mark um, Hardigan, it's a wave, Mark, um, coming to preach God's word to us. Um, his, his theme is about waiting. So um, we will be doing a little bit of waiting on the Lord this morning and just really thinking about prayer um, this morning and praise and how it makes such a difference in our lives. Um, so I'm just going to say hello to any visitors. If we've got any visitors here this morning, Roseanne Lou visiting us today, which is really lovely. Oh, lovely. We've got some people over there. So please make sure um, that you say hello to these people um, during the, we're going to do the offering in a moment, so make sure you say hello to them. Um, there's something else I wanted to speak to you about before we do the offering. Um, the young people are having pancakes and prayer this morning. So they are in the small um, hall <coughs> at the, um, the other side of the tea and coffee room. Um, and they would really like us to go through and see what they have been praying about after the service. But there will also be tea and coffee served again at the end of the service by Michelle and Mark, which, where are they? Are you is that going to be in the usual place? Yeah, so there'll be two, two lots of rooms with things to go and see. Um, there's been a lot of prayer about um, schools in the last um, couple of weeks. We had a, a national sort of um, prayer for schools, and there are some leaflets with the prayers on and the agencies that um, help um, with with looking after the people in the schools and the people that um, work with schools. Um, so if you wanted to have a look at some of those leaflets, they're just on that curved shelf in the vestibule as well. Okay, I think that's all I need to say now. So we'll take up our offering and just have a little chat amongst yourselves who's sitting with you. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these gifts of money. We thank you for all that you give to us. Please use this money to further your kingdom, to bring glory to your name, and bring help wherever it is needed. We turn our thoughts to the school children throughout our country, especially those who are vulnerable and living in poverty. And for the school children in vulnerable situations around our world, Ukraine, Turkey, Syria, just to name a few places. Lord Jesus, you experienced poverty as a small child, driven from the comforts of home, cold and hungry, not knowing what might happen next your family exhausted by it all. We pray for girls and boys who get to school tired with no breakfast and leave not knowing whether there's anything remotely nice for tea. We pray also for the children that can't even go to school at the moment 
and for those that just have no idea where their next meal is coming from. <coughs> we pray for those children who can find little to be cheerful or hopeful about, who are worried, unhappy, and feeling misunderstood. Please send angels, human or otherwise, to give them comfort and help them to get through this. Please provide for these very real needs. And we thank you, Father God, for everyone who is watching out for the vulnerable children, for the homework clubs, Witten Life, food banks, opportunities to play and laugh and find friends and be themselves, even in the midst of need. Thank you for compassionate teachers, aid and community workers, social workers, extended family, nurses, doctors, and all who genuinely care and are able to share with families in need. We pray for an end to this crisis in our land, which is depriving so many of so much. Please grant immense wisdom to those in government, nationally and locally, to know how best to alleviate the pain and respond to the lack of so many. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> going to speak some verses from Psalm 91 over them and over us this morning. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. And his faithful promises are your armor and protection. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer, and I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. So there is just such power in praying and praising God no matter what. Paul tells us, to rejoice in the Lord always. And he repeats it again, I say rejoice. Paul was in chains in prison and life was awful, but he and Silas prayed and praised God all the more. They were praising God for who he is. Their situation wasn't good, but their God was still good. They weren't praising God for the what, but for the who. And we can do that this morning. There may be painful circumstances in our lives that are not good, 
but our God is still good. He is near. We pray now. Come, Holy Spirit, and draw near to us this morning. Fill us with your unconditional love. May we have a real sense of your presence near us. We thank you, God, that your promises are true. Your grace is amazing and your timing is perfect. We may not like what of what's going on around us, but we can still praise God for the who of who he is. So often we can hold back on praising God until he provides what we want. Lord, forgive us for the times we may think like that. For when we have to wait on you. Lord, we are better than that and you deserve better. Paul and Silas praised you before you answered their prayers. They prayed and praised and then you showed up. Make us more like them, Lord. They didn't praise you because you showed up, but God, you showed up because they praised you. So Lord, as we praise you this morning, we ask you to show up. Come Holy Spirit, change our thinking, change our thoughts and change our lives. Amen. Let's stand and worship. time. 
a hallelujah.
to fight for me. We read in Deuteronomy, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. God is for you. He is on your side. He is here for you, whatever you are facing, whatever the battle. He knows your struggles, but remember the battle belongs to God and he has already won. Let's sing that song, The Battle Belongs.
fortress and my saviour. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety.
139. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hands will guide me, and even there your strength will support me. Even there. David the psalmist realizes that it doesn't matter if he's sitting down or standing up. So feel free to sit down if you'd like. It doesn't matter whether he is traveling abroad or staying at home, up in heaven or down in the grave. God is there whether he is speaking his mind or keeping his thoughts to himself, or even if he somehow ends up next to the most remote ocean on earth, even there, God's hand will lead him and his right hand will hold him. Even there, even here, even everywhere, God is always present to lead and to guide to strengthen and support. Even if we try to avoid God or run from his calling on our life, he is patient to pursue us, to correct us and direct us. One thing is certain, he will never leave us. So when you're scrubbing dishes, scrolling on your phone, or sorting through a difficult decision when you're hard at work or lazing at home or soaking up time with the people you love when your heart's broken when you're joyful when you're doubtful when you're hopeful even when you've made a horrible decision even there God's hand shall lead us and his right hand shall hold us. Wherever you find yourselves today, know that you are not alone. You're not stuck. You're not without someone who cares and who's able to save. Thank you, God. There is no escaping your presence. And keep 
that in our weakness, in our trouble, you won't let go of us. In the darkness, when it's hard, you are our hope. When we are lonely, you console us. When we are broken, you fix us with your grace. When we are searching and hurting, you are our hiding place. We trust in your ways. Our faith is in you, Lord. We cast our cares on your shoulders. We cast our cares on your love. You are with us. You are near us. You are for us. You listen. You lead us. You love us, you hear us, you free us, and you carry us. reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11 and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, 
The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And as Mark comes to speak to us about this passage from your living word, may you fill him afresh with your spirit as he speaks. Fill us afresh as we listen. May your word continue to actively change our lives. May it challenge and convict us, heal and encourage us. Lord, use your word today to shape us into who you made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mel. Thank you. Musicians, is that what you call yourselves? Worship enablers, whatever the posh term is these days for folk who lead us in times of worship and praise to God. It's, uh, I count it a real privilege and a real blessing to be with you this morning. I think this is the fourth time I've come, and I, but I still feel every time I, I ought to introduce myself somehow and in some way. So my name is Mark Hardingham. The first 18 years of my life were spent with primarily education, the church, which I have always loved, and uh, what else? Sport, really. And then the second 18 years of my life were spent with work, um, an organisation which is now called HSBC. Um, yeah, they're closing a branch near you. Um, <laughs> as most of the banks seem to be, sport and uh, church. It also was a time that brought me uh, a beautiful wife and I have two children. One of them, in the middle of one of those worship songs, has sent me a photograph, right? Because on Tuesday, we took him to the airport, he flew to Thailand, and I've just seen my son sitting on an elephant in the middle of a worship service. How bizarre is that? in this world which seems to get smaller. The third 18 years of my life, I had the sense that God was saying to me, this church thing, Mark, I'd like you to do it on a paid, full-time basis. It was a difficult decision for me. With young children, we sold up, we moved into London, spent three years in training, and then 14 or 15 years as pastor of the church down in Woodbridge. And, uh, and at the end of that 18 years, well, yeah, I still was a little bit into the sport too. If you go to Ufford Park Golf Club, my name is on the board because I got a hole in one. Yeah. A small part of me will forever be in Woodbridge in more than one way. And then 
the church had got to a point and grown to a size where I knew but didn't want to face the fact that it was getting away from me a little bit. And I could feel that God was saying, you've taken these people as far as you can go, Mark. It's time to step aside. And I felt that he was really saying to me, I was allowed a rest, a time to stop. So we planned a holiday in New Zealand. We managed to get a, um, a long-distance footpath walk-in, me and my wife. And then the pandemic arrived. And so our plans began to take a different shape. And uh, now we find ourselves in a place where my parents live in our garden. That sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? But I tell people they're in a shed. Um, it's a bit nicer than that. And my mother-in-law lives with us in the house. So we've got two generations. And because of the way things are, the, the younger generation can't really visit us without being in a tent or, or, some, or in the caravan in the garden and that sort of thing. And because of those circumstances, I find myself now where my life is being shaped in a different way. And as I thought about coming this morning, last time I was with you, it was the second Sunday of Advent, a couple of weeks before Christmas. It was a time of waiting for Christmas. And I looked at Phyllis's emails a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, I really must be thinking about what do I share with the people at Lowestoft? And uh, I then realized that this Tuesday is Pancake Day, and we enter another time of waiting, waiting for Easter. And these times of waiting are not easy, are they? And I, I found myself, first of all, thinking about why is it so hard to wait? And I picked up a, uh, something that someone else has written that I want to read to you. And I think it has something to say about the kind of world we live in, about how things are thrust upon us, how we actually struggle to hold all the things together because it's so complicated. It's called, This is the Paradox of Our Time. I don't know who wrote it. It's one of those things that's got anon written at the end of it. But it says this, We have taller buildings, but shorter tempers. We have wider roads, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but seem to have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families. More conveniences and less time. More channels, but never anything worth watching. We've earned more degrees, but lost our common sense. We have more knowledge, but less discernment. There are more experts and more problems for experts to sort out. There are more health magazines, but less wellness. This is a time when we choose any religion which fits our personality, but deny the God who gave us one. We've multiplied our possessions, but we've reduced our values. We've learned to make a living, but not a life. We've conquered outer space, but we struggle with inner space. We've cleaned up the air whilst we've polluted our minds. We've split the atom, but not our prejudice. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies, to pass around to more people, but we seem to have less communication. We have learned to rush, 
and forgotten how to wait. And under the magnificence of a starry night, we applaud the design, but we ignore the designer. We're in a season of horrifications, preoccupied minds, quick trips and fast food. We have fancier houses, but more broken homes. Steeper profits, but shallower relationships. Newfound riches, but lost souls. This is indeed a time when we place more value on success than on significance. My thinking in bringing you a word about waiting this morning is that it's an important thing to get our heads around. It's important, an important thing to get our lives around. It's an important thing to work out. In our reading, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he fasts. At the end of 40 days, we notice that we're told he's hungry. <laughs> On Tuesday, Lent will start and we will wait. And I often wonder, what did Jesus really do? We know he was tempted but it only takes a couple of verses in the Bible, doesn't it? What did he do for the other 40 days? As a church, you're in a place of waiting together, waiting for your new minister to start her service among you. It's lovely to have Lou here this morning. And Lou's in a se season of waiting too. I'm sure there are things that need to be completed and finished, but then a new adventure will begin. I think this is the time of year too where the whole of nature feels as though it's waiting, doesn't it? Waiting to spring into life. The roundabout outside Morrison's in Beckles actually has daffodils on it now. This week I needed to renew my car insurance and renew my house insurance and I have spent an unnecessarily long time waiting on a telephone, pushing one for car insurance and three for house insurance. I wonder if you ever feel as though you're playing telephone tag with God. You've made a call to him, you've left a message, but when is he going to get back to you? Or maybe you feel like God is some kind of heavenly voicemail system, you reach the voicemail and it's, uh, for a new job, press one. If you want to have better behaved kids, press two. For a rich devotional life, three. Please hold. Your call is important to me. Have you ever felt that way? Truth is, I think probably we all have. And it's called a time of waiting. How do you handle the time of waiting? I got quite cross on the phone. How do you grow through a time of waiting? I'm not sure that my patients really got any better in my time of waiting. So it's a good question, isn't it? Why does God make us wait? If this God can create the world in six days, why do I have to wait so long to get a job? We've got a friend at the moment, a really lovely guy, a really well-qualified guy who's struggling to find the right work. If God could turn water into wine in a millisecond, why do we have to wait for planning permission to change the building we live in? He can do things immediately, so why do I have to wait? 
I've got three things that I believe the Bible tells us, and I'm going to do it as a theme rather than go through the story of Jesus in the wilderness. First thing is this. Waiting gives us strength. Isaiah teaches us that God wants us to have a brand new kind of strength. And if you ever feel like you've run out of steam, emotionally, physically, spiritually, waiting is one of the ways that God renews us. Isaiah says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. I almost almost want to add, they shall skip and not feel discouraged because as adults we forget some of these childlike things, don't we, of, of just skipping for a while, walking for a while. When was the last time you ran? <laughs> some of you it's a while isn't it so you're not a park run congregation then some of you are I've got, I've got one nod I think let me tell you a little secret you don't run on Duracell you can't last three, four, up to five times as long as everybody else on your own strength lots of us think we can we live as though we can we want to keep on going and going and going And we think that that's what real faith looks like. We think that's what real life is. But God says you need to have times of waiting in your life. God uses those times to strengthen you. God uses those times to set you in the right direction. So first of all, I say to you that a time of waiting renews our strength. Second thing I want to say to you is this. A time of waiting changes our character. A verse in Romans about why God allows us to wait. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they're good for us. Wow. I'll just read that first bit again. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials... For we know that they're good for us. They help us to learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character in us. It was my daughter's birthday on Monday, and uh, it's been quite a week in my house. My brother has come to stay because my niece got baptised last Sunday. So not only do I have my parents in the shed and my mother-in-law in in what's name, I have my brother in the caravan, and I have um, a niece on the put-me-up, and... It's been bedlam, but we had a meal for Katie's birthday. And all of a sudden, her grandma, who is 87 or 88, I can't remember which, suddenly said, I've got it. We were talking about, she she does some advertising and promotion in a private school, would you believe? It feels so strange to us. But she's had to buy a new camera for her work, and she was talking about this lens that cost the school two and a half thousand quid to do her job properly. And so her grandma says to her, I've got your granddad's old camera next door. Would you like to see it? It's a really good one. He bought it on national service in Germany. So all the instructions, all the writing on it is in German. 
and it's got a really good quality lens and it takes fabulous pictures. Well, it turns out, Katie tells me, that quite a lot of her generation, she's mid-twenties, have got fed up with our mo uh, sort of mobile phone cameras and that sort of thing, and some of them are now buying 35 millimeter cameras, film cameras, and starting to take pictures just so they can take pictures that are a little bit grainy and that surprise you when you eventually get them back. I'm old enough to remember, oh dear, the first camera my parents gave me was a box brownie. Yeah, remember how they worked? I don't, I'm not sure I can even remember how it worked. But the one thing about these cameras is that you have to wait. You have to send off your film, or these days take it to Tesco's, and then you have to wait to see what develops. Even with the, uh, sometimes you get them, don't you, if you go to a wedding or something like that, they give you these Polaroid where the, the film comes out the camera and then you sort of pull it off and then you stand there going like this. And you're waiting to see what develops. The Bible tells us that part of the purpose of waiting in your life is God wants to develop your character. God made you. God loves you. And one of the reasons we wait is because he wants to change you and develop you. If you're like me, I'd like to develop my character without having to wait. But I need to say to you, the Bible doesn't promise us that. Part of how we're built, part of God's development of us is made in waiting. Third thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Waiting allows us to reflect on the purpose of our lives. There's a story in the Old Testament, it's reckoned to be perhaps one of the oldest pieces of the Old Testament about a man called Job. And I think he might be the all-time world champion of waiting. In James 5, in the New Testament, we read this said about Job. You've heard about Job's patience, and you know about the Lord's purpose for him in the end. On the other side of patience, there's a promise. At the other end of Job's waiting, and I'm not sure he ever understood why he had to wait, he found more blessing and more promise than he had at the beginning of the story. The picture at the end of the book of the Job is that he receives back seven times everything he'd lost in the waiting. Seven times the riches, seven times the reward. And it's because he waited and he endured and he held firm patiently. I was trying to think of a, a picture of this for our own lives. I think it's probably that picture of uh, where do you sit in the car? Are you in the driving seat or is God in the driving seat? And do you treat him as your chauffeur or do you treat him as your driver and guide? Do you sit in the back seat saying, oh no, no, we don't want to go that way, Lord? Or do you wait to see where he is taking you? And I think sometimes God actually says, okay, that's enough, we're stopping the car. 
Let's stop the car and talk about this. Let's reassess our direction. Let's look at where we're going. Listen to my word. Hear the guidance of my spirit. Stop looking for what you want and think about what I might want. Waiting is good for us. To pull this all together, I want to look at three things that we can do and grow through in a time of waiting. Because waiting is slightly different to resting. I'll just leave you to think about that. But three things, uh, three things to do in the waiting. First of all this, you need to wait for the Lord. Isaiah 49.23 says this, Those who wait for me will never be ashamed. We've already read Isaiah 40, those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. Wait for the Lord. When you wait, what are you waiting for? You're waiting for the Lord. You're not necessarily waiting for an answer. You're not necessarily waiting for your circumstances to change. You're waiting for the Lord. And a season of waiting can be a greatest opportunity to build trust. I, uh, I have friends, some of them Christians, some of them not, who seem to think that life is a matter of luck and happenstance. And I need to tell you this morning, if you're following Jesus, no, it's not. We're waiting on a powerful, personal God who knows us, who loves us, who cares about us, who has come to be with us, who has experienced what we've experienced, and says to us, follow me. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, since the world began, no one has seen or heard such a God as ours. The songs that we've sung has reflected this this morning. Who works for those who wait for him. We're not just waiting for an answer to come, we're waiting for God. And I want to suggest this to you this morning, you'll need to think about this too. While we're waiting, God is working. And I think, more often than not, we, try, we get it the other way around. And we say, while I'm working, God can wait. And you know what? While you're working, God is waiting. And perhaps for some of us this morning, God is saying, when you've got tired, when you're wearing yourself out, when you've stopped running around like a headless chicken, I will still be waiting. God is working for those who are waiting. Psalm 37, 7 says this, Wait and trust in the Lord. Don't be upset when other people get rich or when someone else's plans succeed. That's what it says in Psalm 37. Wait and trust in the Lord. The second thing I want to say to you about the waiting is this. Wait with others. Wait with others. There are one or two stories in the Bible of people have to wait and have to wait on their own and it's a painful experience, it's a difficult experience. But I want to say to you this morning, wait with others. I've written a fair amount down here about people waiting but perhaps I'll just put it this way to you. I believe it's really important that we wait with others because I believe that all of us need to know we belong. 
Some of us find it difficult to believe that we belong. Some of us just find it difficult to fit in. One of the lovely things about you as a church here is you have a reputation for there being space. Actually, there is a space for you. You can fit in. There are groups. There are people doing things. And some of it may be Bible study and prayer. Some of it may be uh, music and uh, setting aside space for enjoyment and fun. But there is space here But one of my favourite sayings about God's church is this, and I think you need to hold this at the same time as working out how you belong. If you find the perfect church, don't join it, because you'll spoil it. And I think whether you're already part of the church and need to reckon with the fact that you're not the perfect church, or whether you're someone who's just finding your way in and trying to work out how you fit and where you belong and who might be your friends, you need to know that God works through an imperfect people. You need to know that he comes and he says, it's okay, we will work this out. There is forgiveness for all that's wrong, and then we will build from there. And sometimes it will take time to build trust. Sometimes it will take time to make friends. Sometimes you just need to be waiting. Find a seat where you're comfortable on a Sunday and keep coming back to that seat. There's a danger there, isn't there? Because you all sit in the same seats every Sunday. But mm, Yeah. And the third thing I want to remind you, and I've said it already, is this. God is waiting for you. The key reason why we should wait is because God has waited first. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in doing what he has promised, the way some people understand slowness. But God is being patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants all people to change their hearts and lives. When you're going through a time of waiting, one of the healthiest things you can do is to say, God is patient with me. He's patient with me because he wants me to change and to grow. I look back at my own life, and I know there have been times where God has been incredibly patient with me. One of the things I just can't quite get my head around is this. I make the same mistakes again and again. Same mistakes. I sometimes wonder whether God must look at me and say, can't you be a bit more creative with some of the mistakes you make? But patiently... He waits, and he wants to help me to grow. Patiently, he forgives me again and again. At the beginning of Colossians, it tells us that God wants wants us in these circumstances to find him. God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you won't give up when troubles come, but that you will be patient Not only does God want us to be patient, but he's willing to strengthen us to be patient. The last verse I want to share with you especially fits some of our lives. The Lord still waits for you. This is from Isaiah again. The Lord still waits for you to come to him just so that he can show you his love. Perhaps today you know that God is waiting for you and you're thinking, I've blown it so many times that I really deserve that God just ignored me. 
Perhaps this morning you're thinking, well, I can't really believe I'm still coming to church. How can I come to him now when I've been sitting here and ignoring him so much? God is patient with you. God waited 400 years to set his people free from Egypt. After he made the first promise that Jesus would come into the world, we waited, well, it depends who you see counting the years, perhaps 4,000 years before it happened. And you think you're wearing him out because you've made him wait for a few years? God is patient. God is still waiting. He hasn't stopped waiting. And today, if you want to come to him, he longs for you to return to him. I'm going to pray as the worship enablers come back and join me and, and Mel will draw our time together to a close in a moment. But I invite you to pray this prayer with me as we come towards the end of a formal time. Perhaps take these words and, and make them your own. If you can't change the words in your own head, just say, Amen. Dear God, this week we enter a season of Lent, which means we are waiting. And we remember that you entered into a time that led to your death on a cross and your resurrection, where you didn't try and hold the whole world together, but you yielded and paid a price for us for sin. Thank you for waiting for me. This morning I say to you that I'm sorry that I just keep trying to live my life my own way and forget about you. Right here and now I tell you that I really do want you to work in my life. And I make a conscious decision to give you my life. As much as I know how, as much as I can, help me to learn to trust you more and more as I wait to see you working in my life. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your forgiveness towards me. Thank you for reaching out to me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mel, are you leading us? Um, we're just going to wait. Um, and as we, as we sing, we're going to sing Strength Will Rise um, as we wait upon the Lord. And um, Jen's just going to bring um, some of the children in in a moment. So um, we'll sing this while we're waiting for them to come through.
just a reminder to please go through and have a look at what the um, children and young people have been doing in their prayer space this morning in the, um, the back of the smaller hall. Um, but before we do that, as kind of like the conclusion of this um, national time of prayer for schools, I'm just going to read the blessing which is on um, those notes out there on the shelf. So any of those prayers, I'm sure, continued prayer for schools would be wonderful. It says, be blessed to enjoy each other's company, to respect each other, to have a good reputation with high standards to excel. Be blessed to be a place of safety, for everyone to be treated fairly, to be a seat of learning, for everyone to achieve their best. Be blessed with a welcoming atmosphere, with enough finance and good facilities. Be blessed with many friendships to care for each other, to celebrate people's uniqueness, to create fond memories, and to be somewhere for self-expression. And finally, for the schools, be blessed with supportive parents, with being a friendly community to support each other, to speak well of each other, with clear communication, and to be a place of encouragement. We're going to finish by singing the blessing as we bless each other.